Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Medina East. If you don't know who I am, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Um, if you've been here for a while and you still have no idea who I am, it's because I'm one of the newer pastors on staff. So I joined the team back in April, and I've been up here a couple times for announcements. But if you weren't here those weekends, there's some people who just who miss that. And so uh, this is uh, this is who I am. So um, this is my family. Uh, it's my wife Liz over there with the hat on, and then I have three children: uh, Riley, who is eight; Hudson, who is five; and Harper who is a year and a half. And as you can tell from this photo, 80% of my family is super excited about being on this hike and taking this photo. But if you have small kids, right, 80%, it's not a bad number, right? Like you're, it's hard to get everyone at the same time. So, so that's my family. We're excited to be here. Uh, we finally just moved to the Medina area actually a couple weeks ago. So we're, we're kind of plugged in here and just excited to, to keep diving in and getting to know you guys more. So now one of the things that I did before I was here is I was on staff for a while. I did college ministry at the University of Akron for 13 years. And as we dive into the teaching this morning, I want to start by telling you a story from my college world. And so um, one of the things we got to do in college ministry world is we got to do some trips and events with them. And so we had a fall trip that was like an outdoor adventure weekend type thing that we would do in September. And then we had a winter trip that we would take our students over their Christmas break down to Florida to the beach. And so our fall trip that we did in September, it started on a Friday. We, like, after classes got out, we'd take them on a Friday and they'd get there late Friday night and then it would end late on a Sunday night. And so every Sunday uh, at the end of the trip, we'd get back late on a Sunday night and we'd have this just whole caravan of 15 passenger vans and this big box truck full of luggage and stuff. And everything would just kind of get dumped out into the parking lot and the students would go out and kind of scramble for their stuff and then they would just disperse. And when kind of the dust settled, it was me and the staff and a handful of volunteers, and then there's just like random stuff everywhere that needed taken care of. And so we would kind of just divide and conquer things as a team. So we'd get a group of people and say, all right, your job is to get these vans back to the rental place. And then we'd get another group and we'd say, all right, your job is to get this sound equipment back into the church, try not to break any of it, get that sound equipment back in there. There'd be someone else who was on lost and found. And so, right, it's dark and college students couldn't find their stuff. And so they'd just be like, well, uh, someone else will find it for me and I'll pick it up later. So we would have all this lost and found that we would get to gather together and get it into the church. And then there was just kind of a bunch of miscellaneous things that were like leftover equipment and different things. And we'd assign one person or one group of people to that. And um, one of the things that was part of that was every year we had this giant cooler. So this is uh, not a giant cooler, but it represents our cooler. And we had this, uh, I think it was a 64-gallon igloo cooler. So like one of those giant ones. And we would use it on our fall trip because we found out over the years that uh, college students are always hungry. And so it would be Friday night, we'd finish our teaching sessions and it would be like, it would be like 11.30 at night. And they'd look at us and they'd say, we're hungry. We'd say, uh, it's 11 at night. And they'd say, yep. And so uh, over time we decided, well, all right, they're hungry. So we got this giant cooler and we would get hot dogs and s'mores and stuff like that and put it in the cooler. And we just kind of set it, uh, you'd go down this hill where we we're at and there was a lake and a, a bonfire and we just set this cooler down the hill. And we're just like, in the evenings when we're done with stuff, if you guys are hungry, go down there, take care of yourselves, just go nuts, right? And we'd let them do their thing. And uh, again, they were college students. It sounded like a good idea to eat this stuff late at night. And so but as you can imagine, over the course of the weekend, uh, the cooler would get pretty, like, it just get pretty dirty and gross, right? Because lots of people are using it. It's just sitting outside all weekend. It's down by the lake. People would sit on it, stand on it, get mud all over it. It was just a pretty gross thing. And so at the end of the trip, when we're doing all these things to clean up stuff and get stuff away, like someone had to take the cooler, someone had to clean the cooler and put it back in our storage closet. And so uh, that was the process every year. So every year we did that, we'd find someone, hey, can you take this tour? Can you clean it? put it away in our closet. 
So one year in particular, fast forward, we are in January and we are getting ready for our, our uh, winter trip, right? And so it's the day before the trip and I'll never forget, there's a girl on our team. Her name was Olivia. She was one of the interns. And I just said, hey, Olivia, like we're leaving. I think it was tomorrow. Can you help us stage some of the stuff for this trip? And so I said, can you get the cooler out? Just various things we need. And so she goes into the closet and she pulls out the cooler and then she opens the cooler to find that the person who put the cooler away, whatever student it was, they made a grave oversight, right? And so they did a phenomenal job of cleaning all the dirt and the mud and the grime off the outside of that cooler. But they didn't, for whatever reason, they didn't bother to open the cooler to see if anything was inside of it. And if they had opened it, back in September, what they would have found was they would have found a whole bunch of packs of opened hot dogs and ice. Probably about 50 hot dogs, actually, and, uh, but they didn't find that because they didn't open it. And so they cleaned the outside of the cooler, just put that in our closet. And then it sat in our closet for the entire fall semester, right from September all the way to January. And so we open this thing. She opens this cooler, immediately sees something really, really gross in there that no longer looks like hot dogs, right? It was this like water, right? Because the ice melted. So it was this like green liquidy slime thing that was covered in mold. Just, right, it was about as disgusting as you can imagine. And so she opens the cooler, immediately closes the cooler, but like the damage had been done, the smell from that, like it just like instantly just permeated our entire office. It actually went down the hall within about five minutes. There was someone from the maintenance staff on the church that was like walking and they came and found us, right? They, they, whenever something was wrong, they tended to find the college ministry and they're like, is this your, right? So they came in and they're like, did something die in here? It was just, it was disgusting. So um, now one of the most amazing things as I look back on this story though, is that this cooler, it, it sat in our storage closet all semester and we had no idea Right, we went in and out of that closet probably dozens of times to get various things. We walked right past this thing and it looked amazing. And we had no idea that on the inside there was a Petri dish science experiment that we were secretly performing to see what would grow. Like we had no idea what was going on in the inside. So with this lovely picture in your mind, right, right before you guys go home and eat lunch, you're thinking about this. No one's eating hot dogs this afternoon. Um, Keep this in your mind, right? Today, we're kicking off a brand new series called Motives. And the reason, the heart behind this series, the big idea is that when Jesus looks at our faith, that he is concerned about far more than just what is going on on the outside, right? That when Jesus looks at our lives and he considers the things that we do, he absolutely cares about our actions. He cares about what we do, but he's actually primarily concerned about what is happening internally, right? He cares about the why behind our motives. And one of the reasons I think that he cares so much about that is because he knows that it is often our internal desires and our internal motives that drive most of our external behavior. And he knows that it's entirely possible to be doing all of the right things externally for all of the wrong reasons, but that if we can get the internal stuff right, if we can get our heart right, that usually the external stuff will take care of itself. So that's where we're headed in this series. If you guys have a Bible with you, I want you to join me in Matthew chapter six. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can grab one from the seat back in front of you and we'll be on page 787. And if you don't own a Bible, you can actually take that Bible home with you. Then you can just consider that a gift from us. So 
So we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been here, you know that. Last week, Tony closed out our last series and closed out chapter five. And so today, we're gonna start in Matthew chapter six and we're gonna start in verse one. So check out what Jesus says. He says this. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so as we launch into this sermon, on uh, this like, new section of the Sermon on the Mount, a couple things I want to point out to you and a couple things I want you to consider. And the first thing is just that this verse starts a whole lot different than all of the previous sections we've been looking at, right? So the past previous six sections, I think it was, each one of them started with the phrase, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you, right? And so this is a change of tune for Jesus. Jesus is no longer starting that way. He was focusing on their teachings and their traditions, and now he's kind of switching gears a little bit, and he's going to start to talk about their motives, about some of the internal things that drive many of their practices. And so the first thing that we should pay attention to is just the word, be careful, right? Be careful. And the word Jesus uses here, it means to watch out, to stay alert, or to be on your guard, and so in the same way it would if I like knocked on your door or called you and said, hey, be careful, right? Like it would cause you to, to pay attention, to kind of focus in and look around and see like, are there something that is coming that I, I need to be aware of, right? There's something that's coming that poses a threat to me. It could harm me. It could hurt me. There's something that I just need to be paying attention to because it's coming. And so Jesus is telling them, he says, guys, there's something, there's something I, I think you need to pay attention to because that has the ability to hurt you or harm you, and in this instance, really hurt their ability to follow him. And what we're going to find as we continue to work our way through this passage is that this warning that Jesus gives in verse 1, this really serves as an introduction to the next three sections that we're going to walk through, all the way through verse 17 in Matthew chapter 6. And so in order to understand this warning, uh, the next thing that we need to look at is this word righteousness. Righteousness. Now, again, word you've probably heard a lot before if you're in church settings. It's not a word that we use very commonly. It's not something that you hear in like everyday conversation or that comes up very often. I think it was about a month ago, Pastor Seth was teaching and he kind of did a really good job of just helping us understand this. But just as by way of reminder, the word righteousness, it simply means moral living that aligns with God. Right? It's your moral living that aligns with God. And specifically in this context, Jesus is referring to religious acts or virtuous acts or acts of charity. Here's how one commentator put it. I thought this helped me. He said, it said, it indicates the external activities of the ongoing process of transformation to be more like the heavenly father. He said, it's the external things that a follower of Jesus would do in the process of becoming more like God. It's the outward life that results from actually putting your faith into practice. And the word that Jesus uses here in chapter six is the same word he used back in chapter five, verse 10, when he said this. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so what was he saying? Well, he was saying blessed is the person who is persecuted because they're actually putting their faith into practice. Right, They're actually following the things I'm calling to, which means your outward life will look different. It will change. People will see that. And when they see that, well, uh, you might be persecuted for that. And so again, in this context, Jesus is referring, referring to our external moral activity that aligns with God. 
That's the second thing. Third thing in this first verse I want you to notice is the word reward. So you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And the reason I want to pause here for a moment is because I think this idea, this topic, is something that can very easily confuse people about God or even derail them from their faith. And because historically, this this idea of faith and works, it's something that's been debated and just caused a lot of confusion in the Christian faith. And then you throw rewards into it, and it can get kind of messy for a lot of people. Because what Jesus is not saying in this passage is he's not saying that you can earn your salvation, right? Not saying that. And what he's not saying is that if you live right enough, that God's going to reward you with forgiveness. He's not saying that either. And so again, if you go back to one of the very first verses we looked at in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, it was the first beatitude. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you remember back, if you were here when Tony taught through that this week, some of the things he taught us was that this means blessed are those who realize they are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who realize they have nothing to offer God. Blessed are those who understand they they don't have the spiritual resources required to take care of themselves, right? And so the whole foundation of the Sermon on the Mount, it's based on the fact that we can't do enough, that we can't earn enough, that we, our good works aren't going to do anything to help us with our salvation. We can't earn forgiveness. And so anytime the Bible talks about um, the, this idea of rewards, we need to understand that rewards and salvation are two totally separate conversations. And so if that's what this verse is not saying, well, then it, the question remains, what is it saying? And so anytime you read a passage in the Bible and it's talking about rewards, it is every single stance that I have found, it is referring specifically to someone who is already following Jesus and they're connecting rewards to their ability as a disciple, their life as a disciple. There is so much that we could say on this topic. This is probably a whole other sermon in and of itself. But for time's sake this morning, I want to show you guys one passage, and then I'm going to give you guys one illustration to hopefully just give you a basic understanding of this. And so here's the passage. We'll start here. Again, we already read this earlier in this series, or earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so again, notice who Jesus is talking to in this passage. He's not talking to someone who is searching for God or looking for God or seeking things out. Right? He is specifically talking to people who are already followers of him. Right? And the reason these people are being persecuted is specifically because they are followers of him. Right? They have already, they've already given their life to him. They have already submitted to him. They're living that out. And again, that is the thing that is causing persecution. And so he's clearly having a conversation with believers. So that's the passage. So here's the illustration. So back when I was in high school, I was on the track team. And every year at the end of the year, we would have this year-end like banquet. Do you guys, any of you guys remember these banquets from high school, like a celebration? Anyone been part of one? Okay. So here's how it worked. If you were on the track team, you were invited to the banquet. But it didn't matter how talented you were. Didn't matter if you were the fastest person on the team or if you were the slowest person on the team. Didn't matter if you were the MVP 
or you were like the last ditch option that the coach hoped I never have to use that person in the relay, right? Like every single person on the team, you were invited to the banquet. And everyone on the team went to the banquet. They all celebrated together. They all ate a meal together. They all shared in the team's successes together. Everyone on the team was invited. But there was also a point in the banquet where they would pass out awards, right? And not everyone on the team got an award. And so I remember my freshman year when they came time to pass out the awards, like I celebrated together, I ate together, I loved being there. But I was the guy sitting in the back watching mostly this, the juniors and seniors receive awards for the things they had done, right? I think when it comes to uh, salvation and rewards and heaven, I think this is a helpful picture to understand how this works. Not perfect, but I think it helps, right? And so every person who has put their faith in Jesus, they get invited to the banquet, right? Every single person. Doesn't matter how well they followed Jesus, if they were, right, this super saintly person or if they struggled with all sorts of things, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith in him, you get invited to the banquet. Every single person is a follower of Jesus. You are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven because you don't earn that. That's not based on what you do. You, you're, again, you're invited to the banquet. Everyone is forgiven. But not every follower of Jesus gets the same level of rewards because rewards are connected to their life as a disciple and not every follower of Jesus follows in the same way. So again, so much more that we could say on that, but I think it is a helpful, uh, just brief understanding so that we can keep moving forward in our passage today. So if we put all this stuff that we've talked about together and we go back to our opening verse, let's consider what Jesus says. He says, be careful, right? Watch out, warning, not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so Jesus says, if you practice your religious activity in front of others to be seen by them, he says, you might still be invited to the banquet, but don't expect a trophy, don't expect any bonus points, don't expect any extra credit. And while that might not seem like that radical of a statement to maybe some of us in this room, that was an incredibly radical statement to Jesus' listeners in that moment. Because that's actually exactly what they expected. Right? They all expected that the Pharisees and the teacher of, teachers of the law, the, the leaders who, who had this just amazing external display of their faith, everyone thought that they were the all-stars, that they were the, the superstars, and that they were the ones who God favored most. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, not, not so fast. And so it's this first verse in chapter 6 that really introduces an idea that Jesus is now going to expound on for the next 16 verses, all the way through the next three examples, right? So Jesus is now going to walk us through three examples of this, one on charitable giving, and then on prayer, and then about fasting. And I think that Jesus chose these three things, uh, not because these are the only three things that we should be concerned about, but because these three things actually represent every area that we should be concerned about, right? That these are some of the most universally common and um, just applicable things that every single person in his audience would have understood how this applied to their lives. And Jesus says, if you do these sorts of things in front of others to be seen by them, 
you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so that's how Jesus sets the stage. And so with the rest of our time together, we're gonna walk our way through this first example on charitable giving. So here's what Jesus says. He says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, the first thing I think we need to, uh, uh, we need to note in this verse is that it says, so when you give, right? Jesus says, when you give. He doesn't say if you give. He doesn't say here's why you should give. He doesn't give any extended motivational speeches on giving or generosity. He's not trying to convince anyone in. He simply says, when you give. And if you were to keep reading through this passage, you're going to find that he says the exact same thing in the next two sections. He's going to go on to say, and when you pray, and he's going to go on to say, and when you fast, right? I like how one commentator put it. He said this, he said, the three examples of almsgiving, prayer, and fasting are thus categorized as activities which God requires of his people, Jesus' quarrel is not with the doing of them. Indeed, he assumes the disciple will do them. But his quarrel is with the manner and the motive. Right? And so the discussion that Jesus is engaging in with them, it's not about if they're going to do these things. He is concerned again with the internal. He's concerned with how and why they are doing these things. And so Jesus says this. He goes on, he says, so when you give... He says, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the corners. And so, now most of the commentators I studied when I looked at this word trumpets, they all think that it's probably hyperbole, that Jesus is not actually referring to a physical trumpet of some kind, but he's simply, he's trying to make a point. And the point that he's trying to make is that when you do these good and charitable things, you should not intentionally try and draw attention to yourself, right? You shouldn't be like, hey, look at me, look what I'm doing, right? That's the point he's trying to make. And as, as I was kind of just reflecting on this this past week, right, this is something that we see all the time in our culture, right? So this past week, I was watching the Olympics. Is anyone, anyone else watching the Olympics at all? I've seen, this is a total tangent, I've seen some very obscure sports that I did not know were even sports. So yesterday, in the background, I was watching, uh, we saw this horse thing came on. It was called horse eventing. Uh, and horse eventing is basically horses prancing around sideways and backwards. And then last night we got home and someone had put music to it and put it on, uh, on Instagram. And it was, a, it was quite a funny thing. That has nothing to do with this. I was watching the Olympics and uh, a commercial came on from Comcast. And I don't know if any of you guys saw this commercial, but this, this commercial came on from Comcast. And they, uh, in this commercial, they announced that they were donating a billion dollars to this charitable endeavor. And I remember when this commercial came on, three things went through my mind. The first thing uh, I, I thought was, that's actually really cool. Like I watched the commercial and like listened to what they said they were doing with it. And I thought that that's a really good thing. I'm really glad they're doing this. Like that, that's awesome. Second thing that went through my head was a billion dollars is a crazy amount of money, right? Like in my head, I, I thought, did they say a million and I like went back and checked. I'm like, nope, nope, they said a billion dollars, right? So uh, I don't care how you slice it. When you give away a billion dollars, that's generous, right? That is a large amount of money to be giving away. But here's the third thing that went through my head. Why did they just tell us that? 
but like the commercial didn't ask me to do anything. They just wanted the world to know, hey world, we're giving away a billion dollars. Right? They wanted to announce their generosity to everybody. Not only did they want to announce it, they paid who knows how much money for a primetime Olympic commercial so that they could tell everyone how generous they were being, right? And the reality is, again, we see this all the time. I don't know how many of you guys have ever been in a building that was named after somebody, right? Maybe you were in a hospital wing or something like that, and and you went into the so-and-so hospital wing because, well, there was a very generous person who gave a large amount of money to help that and so that they could get their name on the side of a building, right? Now, this isn't true, but imagine when uh, this building was built, imagine if someone had come to Pastor Tony and said, uh, hey, Pastor Tony, I have $100,000 that I'm gonna give you for this room if you just wanted to, to put my name up there, right? Imagine when you guys walked in today, imagine if you had walked into this, <laughs> right? The Steve Van Meter Auditorium. I don't know why, but his name just seemed like the right name to put on there. It just sounded right. It had a good flow to it. So, right? So we laugh at this, and it's silly for a lot of reasons. Um, but the reality is, you can find churches that do this, right? You can find churches that have parts of their building named after someone who was a generous donor. Or you could find a building campaign where it's like, if you give just above this amount of money, then you can get your name on a brick that will be like permanently part of this building, right? So that for generations to come, people will know that you gave to this project. We see this in conversations that people have where they just like slide in information where they just want us to know about this thing that they did. We see this uh, when people post things on social media, right? They post about this thing that they did and it's just like humble brag where they're kind of humble about it, but then they're also just, they're like, they're letting the world know. I just want you to know I did this. And so why do people do this? Well, Jesus tells us. He says they do it to be, to be seen by men and to be honored by others. He said they do this so that others will think more highly of them, that they will view them as more holy and more spiritual. And Jesus says, when they do this, they have received their reward in full. What reward? Well, they got exactly what they were looking for, right? They got the recognition they wanted. They got the applause of men. Everyone has now seen them, and they all know just how spiritual they are. But Jesus also says that's all they're going to get, meaning you've got the attention you so desire, but now don't expect anything else from God. Don't expect a trophy, don't expect bonus points or any sort of extra credit here. This week as I was studying this, I I came across one commentator I thought really just kind of, he cut straight to the heart of this and uh, didn't pull any punches. He said it like this. He said the reality was they were not giving but buying. They wanted the praise of men, they paid for it, and they have gotten it. The transaction has ended and now they can claim no more, right? And so while their external activity was very aligned with God, the internal motives was not. And actually, if you guys remember back to the first week in our last series, um, Jesus actually spoke to this, I think. Uh, In Matthew 20, he said this. 
I said, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, at first glance, when we first hear that and we first read that, it seems as if Jesus is using the righteousness, right, the, ex- the, the external religious activity of the Pharisees to like set the religious bar really high. It appears as if he's saying, if you guys can't jump over this, well, then best of luck to you. But I think in actuality, what we come to discover is the acts of righteousness of the Pharisees, they weren't actually up here. They were, they were down here because they were mostly for show. And I don't think Jesus was using them as a gold standard. I think he's actually declaring a deficiency in how they went about practicing their faith. And one of the reasons I think we know this is because of what Jesus said later to them in Matthew 23. He said this. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You were like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you are full of rotting hot dogs and other unclean things. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of wickedness, of hypocrisy and wickedness. And again, what they were doing on the outside externally, it was really good. They were giving large amounts of money that I have to think significantly helped the poor among them, right? Real gifts, doing real good. The external was awesome. But the internal, right, the internal told a very different story. And so Jesus says, I'm going to propose an alternative option, right? He says, so if this is how your religious leaders have been practicing their faith, Let me now show you how I want you to practice yours. He says this. He says, but when you, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so again, most commentators that I read, they believe that this is more hyperbolic language, right? That this is the other half of Jesus's analogy. So instead of announcing it with trumpets, Jesus now wants you to not let your left hand know what the right hand is doing so you can do it in so much, like do it in secret. Instead of trying to draw as much attention as possible, what Jesus now says is I want you to be as discreet as possible. Instead of making this a public act, I want you to make this a very private act. And he's actually going to say the exact same thing in the next two sections that follow. Right in the section on prayer, he's going to tell you, instead of making sure as as many people as possible can see you praying, I want you actually to go into your room and I want you to close the door. And then the section after that, when when he talks about fasting, he's going to say, instead of drawing attention to yourselves, right when you're like looking a little bit pale because you haven't eaten all day, instead of like acting all faint and walk around, he's like, I want you to hide that fact so that no one even knows that you're fasting. Now, one of the questions I, I think this should cause us to ask is, does this mean that we should never do things like give in church, right? We have offering buckets back there, like little stations you can put stuff in. It, it, should you never put something there because somebody might see you, right? If you're at uh, your friend's birthday party tomorrow and someone says, hey, can you pray? Like, should you be like, I can't do that. This is a public thing. I, I, can't, I can't pray in public, Right? Should you, should you never serve in public, right? 
Because some, again, people are gonna see you. So like, is our band, are they all in trouble because you, you see them serving every week? Is there something wrong with that? When the answer is obviously, of course not. And we actually have record of Jesus doing all of those things in public settings at certain times. And actually, if you've been paying attention the last few months, there should be another question that I think as you read this passage starts coming up in your brain and it's this, didn't, didn't Jesus just a little bit ago, didn't, didn't he tell us to, to go public with our faith? You guys remember what he said? He said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Right, and so here he's telling us that we should let people see our good deeds. And in the passage we looked at a minute ago, now he's saying, I want you to go in the door, go in your room, close the door so that no one can see. Right, which begs the question, well, well which is it? Right, what are we supposed to do, Jesus? Uh, and the answer is, uh, it's both. And how you determine between the two is all about our series. It's about your motives. And so in the first instance, he is calling us to go public with our faith so that other people may get a glimpse of the life that God has designed and created them to live. And in this instance, we are doing this for the benefit of the people who are watching. We're hoping that somehow through our actions, they will look at God, they will glorify God, they will be attracted by that, and they will want to turn and follow him. But it's all about helping the other person. But in the second instance, he calls them to go private because they are trying to further their own agenda. Right in the passage we looked at today, they aren't just trying to help people. They might be sort of trying to do that, but they're also trying to increase their social standing. They're trying to improve their rank and their favor with the people around them. So how do you know when to kind of hide your faith and when to show your faith, right? Like how do you work your way through this tension? Well, there's a a famous old theologian guy by the name of A.B. Bruce. We were joking that this is his senior picture. And uh, here's how he said it. Uh, He said, show when tempted to hide, and hide when tempted to show. Show when tempted to hide, and hide when tempted to show. So here's what I think that means. I think that means in the moments when we are tempted to hide our faith because of the negative consequences it might bring upon us, this is when God would say, I want you to have the courage to boldly declare your faith and to share that with the world around you. So for example, if you are at work or at school, you are probably going to be more likely tempted to hide your faith because of what the consequences of people knowing about your faith might be, right? So you're, you're at school and uh, maybe if people knew what you believe, they might not invite you to certain things or they might make fun of you or they might treat you differently. If you're at work, if your coworkers or your boss, if they knew what you believed, right, you might be tempted to hide that again because maybe you would be ostracized for that or maybe you'd get passed over for a promotion. And I think Jesus would say in these moments, I want you to boldly declare your faith. I want you just to declare that to the world and show that. And uh, we, we, we just get to live with those consequences. But there are other moments where there is something inside of us that just longs to be seen. Right, something that just that craves credit for this good deed that we just did. And these are the moments when I think Jesus would say, this is when I, I want you to, to hide that. This is when I want you to keep that private because I want you to preserve the purity of the act. And so as I was considering this, this teaching just personally the past few weeks, is just kind of processing through this in my own life, uh, at first glance, I, I felt like I was doing pretty good, Right? So I've never announced my giving with the trumpet, never done that. 
Um, unlike Steve, I don't have any buildings named after me, so I don't have to worry about that. And uh, I've never tried to draw attention to myself while fasting, right? So again, as I first read through this, I thought, hey, I'm, I'm doing pretty good at this. But as I considered it more, I, I think I realized that what Jesus is warning us about, the enemy, again, it's not the external displays of our faith that we have to worry about, but rather it's this internal desire for the applause of man. I think the real enemy Jesus warns us about is my desire to be recognized by and to win and have the approval of my peers and the people around me. Because if I go home uh, after this and I see a sink full of dishes and I decide out of the goodness of my heart, I'm, I'm gonna do the dishes, right? There is something inside of me that not only wants Liz to notice, I kind of expect her to thank me. And to be really honest, if she doesn't notice and she doesn't thank me, I'm probably less likely to do the dishes next time. And if, if this winter, if I were to uh, walk outside and just decide again out of the goodness of my heart, I'm gonna shovel my neighbor's driveway. Like I'm, I'm just gonna be a good, a good neighbor. And I go do that. There's something inside of me that later that day will probably want to like weave that or drop that information into a conversation. Right, like I'll be here working and be like, oh yeah, well, well earlier when I was shoveling my neighbor's driveway and I just like slide that in because I, right, I want people to know the good thing that I did. Like I want credit for it. I want people to look at me more highly. I want some sort of like earthly benefit for this thing that I did. I know at times when I've uh, been asked to pray in public, I don't know, I know a lot of times it makes, makes us nervous and I, I think one of the reasons is because well, we're concerned with what everyone else around us is gonna think. And so I found myself at times and I'm like in public and someone asked me to pray in some setting and I'm, I'm praying and I find myself, I'm thinking of like, what are the right things to say so all these people around me will think more highly of me, right? Best case, I don't want them to think I'm an idiot, so I'm trying to say the right things. And worse, uh, maybe otherwise I'm like, how spiritual can I sound to them? And there are times where I've finished praying and I think to myself, did I just have a conversation with God or was I, was I really just kind of talking to the other people in the room? So I think the real battle that we fight and the real enemy that Jesus is warning, about, warning us about is this battle between these two desires, right? So on one hand, I have this desire that I want to please my heavenly father and I want to follow him and it's good and it's true and it's in there. But I have this other desire that I... I want to win and have the approval of my peers. I want recognition for things. And, and these two battles, they're at war with each other. And, and sometimes one is winning and sometimes the other is winning. And sometimes I, I do this thing and it starts really good and really pure. And then this other thing just like finds its way to work its way in and kind of mix the motives that I have and twist it and distort it. And right, I just have this battle inside of me. And I'm guessing that if I find this inside of me that I'm not alone in that. I'm guessing that a lot of you guys can relate to this and, and you've been there and you've felt that tension. And Jesus says when we do good things with ulterior motives or even mixed motives, he says we cheapen the act. He says when we take an act that is supposed to be about the care and the love of another human being, and we twist it and distort it into a form of self-promotion. He says, that is no longer in line with the life that I'm calling you to. Because Jesus doesn't just want disciples who look good. He wants disciples who are good, 
right? He wants disciples whose internal life matches everything the world can see on the external, on the outside. So how do we do this? Or do you find yourself like me and you, you fight this battle within you? How do we overcome this? Well, I think the answer actually comes in Jesus' final words. He says, then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. I think the solution to this craving to be seen and recognized by our peers and the people around us, I think it can only be found when we truly start to understand that we are already seen, we are already loved, and we are already recognized by the God who created us. Until that sinks in, we are gonna find ourselves trapped in this internal battle, and it's not gonna go away. I think the only way to truly be free from this desire to get the earthly credit is to realize that we have a far greater reward available to us. And the promise Jesus ends this passage with is that there is no good deed we do, no gift we give, no act of kindness that we do, no no love that we show to another human that we do that he doesn't see and that he won't reward. And I think that if we can get ourselves to the place where we stop focusing on what everyone else is going to think about us, and we can serve kind of that audience of one and just say, all right, God, I am doing this for you and not for anybody else. We get to the place where that is enough for us. I think we'll finally be free from that battle inside. So I'm gonna invite the band to to join us back up here while they're coming up. I just wanna close with two thoughts, really. Um, The first one is I just wanna encourage some of you guys. So, there are some of you out there right now who you are doing things behind the scenes and you are serving and you're, and, and you're just, you're growing weary, right? The Bible says, do not grow weary in doing good. And it says it because it knows that we will at times grow weary of doing good. And if you're doing one of those things behind the scenes and you're, you're just weary, I, just, I want you to be encouraged by this. So just by way of example, I don't, most of you guys have no idea this happens, uh, but we have volunteers who come here. They cut, cut grass for us every week. No one knows they do that. Uh, we have people who come here every week and they, they scrape bird poop off the sidewalks on the weekends before you get here. So you don't have to think about it or step in it, right? And that's about as glorious as it sounds. And nobody knows that they do that, right? They get no earthly credit for that. We have people who are part of a prayer team here and they pray for many of you guys by name and specifically by needs throughout the week. And again, most of these things, they all go completely unnoticed, They don't get human credit. They don't get earthly recognition. And the encouragement I have is if you're someone who's doing something behind the scenes, whether it's one of those things I listed, it's something else. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you just feel unseen. The encouragement from our passage is that God sees, that he sees what you're doing, that it isn't unnoticed, that he sees you and that he'll reward you. And the second thing I just want to say is that if you're here today and you're just kind of investigating who Jesus is, right? You're kind of on the outside looking in and you're still a little skeptical of this. Perhaps maybe you ran into or you met a Christian who was the epitome of what this cooler looked like on the inside after my trip, right? They presented themselves as one thing, but you found something very different. Maybe that pushed you away from the faith, The good news is that although there are Christians that will be like that, that sometimes, unfortunately, we will be like that, I will be like that, 
The good news is God is not like that. That God is someone whose internal motives and desires are exactly what you see on the outside. He is someone you can trust. He's also not someone you have to impress. He's not someone you have to get your act together and do enough good deeds so that then maybe you're worthy of going before him. It doesn't work that way. He opens, right? He opens the core. He sees all the gross and the filth and the nasty things. And he says, I'm going to accept you right where you are as you are. And so if that's something you want to just talk about, you want to chat with me, you want to chat with someone else, we'll have people up front. We would love to just have a conversation with you and kind of walk with you on that journey. So I'm going to pray for us and the band's going to close this out. Father, thank you so much for um, the fact that you are not like us. Thank you that your motives are pure and good and you are exactly on the inside what we get to see in your external actions as you interact with us in this world. God, we're so grateful for that. God, thanks for your patience with us in the moments when we're not so good at this, when we take these good things that we do and we somehow twist them and use them for our own self-gain and promotion. God, I know that I am guilty of that in so many ways. And so, God, I ask that you would just be gracious to me, that you would forgive me. God, I ask that you would extend that grace to anyone else in the room who's struggling with this too. So, God, would you help us get to the place where we... We can see you and focus on you and know that your love and your approval and your um, just sense of value of us in your life, would, would that be enough for us? God, would you help us release these other desires just in view of who you are and how you love us? Father, we love you. We thank you. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.